All right, Merry Christmas, y'all. Let's, all right, let's settle in here. Um, all right, so there's not a, there's not a whole lot of things that um, catch my attention or embarrass me or just kind of shock me, right? Um, but this one day, I was extremely shocked, not because of the material, uh, it just it was it just caught me off guard, and so I was at a Maple Street Biscuit, and we were ordering our coffee and those types of things. And if you've been to Maple Street, you know that they will not give out your orders until you answer a select question: What was your favorite uh, movie growing up? Who was your favorite musical artist of the '90s? What was your favorite Halloween costume? Those kinds of things. And so this month, if you go into Maple Street Biscuit and you order a coffee or whatever, they will say, what was your favorite Christmas gift of all time? So you order and those types of things, and then the register will just ask you this question, and they are, they are, you know, they're trained to type in whatever the answer is into some computer, and so that when your order is ready, you yell it out uh, to the whole, you know, the whole restaurant so that um, everybody will know exactly who you are and how you are connected to your meal. That makes sense, right? And so I was there, and so I, uh, there's a little billboard, and so I knew the question was coming, and I was like, oh, yeah, boo, my Labrador retriever, the little black, you know, Labrador retriever with a, with a red ribbon. I just remember that. And so I was getting ready. So the, the question was being asked, and I was standing next to Ben Colton. Ben Colton is one of our main volunteers for our, our youth group and those types of things. So I'm taking Ben out. We're just going to talk about life, those kinds of things. And so she says, what was your favorite Christmas gift of all time? And I kind of like glanced to him, like, who's going to go here? And Ben steps into the moment, and he says, the Lord Jesus Christ, my personal Lord and Savior. Awesome answer, Ben. I was thinking like Tonka Trunks or, or Boo, my dog, but yes, defer to Ben Colton here. So, she, I, so we're walking away, and I was like, nice answer. The preacher probably should have thought of something like that, but I didn't. And he says... I just had to say it. And so we're sitting down at our, our, and, and we're kind of giggling. We're like, I cannot wait for this moment because the, the restaurant was stirring and those kinds of things. It's like, Legos, your order's ready for Legos. And so we're like, oh, this is going to be great. Like, my little pony, order for my little pony. And so it's like, we're this anticipation. So we're like, not even talking because we cannot wait for what is about to happen. And so, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your order is ready. And so the whole restaurant's like, who are the over-spiritual ones? Ben just gets a coffee. I get breakfast. So I'm like, hi, everybody. Yeah. They're like, good move. Good move. Good thing we're in the South. And so it was this, this is the kind of things that happen here in Johnson City. So here we are in, in the Christmas season, and we're, in, we're encouraging you to speak the name of Jesus to your friends and your neighbors and to each other. And let's let Ben Colton be our stimuli. Let him be our, our catalyst on how we are to go and do likewise. So two weeks ago, we got snowed out. Two weeks ago, we talked about Christmas. And we talked that the fact that Christmas or the Christmas season for hundreds, thousands of years, technically 1,500 years, the Christmas season has been celebrated by the word Advent, A-D-V-E-N-T, which is Latin for arrival. Okay, And so for Christians, for 1,500 years, we've not celebrated Christmas as a day. 
All right, here in 2018, it's all about the day. And if we're really honest, it's probably about the presence. But for 1,500 years, the Christians, north, south, east, west, for 1,500 years, Africa, Asia, north and, north and south Af- America, we have all gathered for a season called Advent as it continued to move forward toward a time. And so for Christians, for hundreds of years, we have intentionally paused or we've intentionally waited for the arrival. We have intentionally not gotten what we want. We've pushed pause because we know it's good for our hearts. In a culture of immediate gratification and those kinds of things, allow Advent, which is Latin for arrival, and it's intentionally, we are awaiting the arrival of the coming king. This is what we do. Part of that muscle and part of what we're doing that for is so that we can practice or that we can flex the muscle of waiting because that's what Christians do. If you follow God, this is what you do. You wait and you wait on purpose. Just think about two or three or four or five, 6,000 years before Jesus came. There was a promise of God. So you followed Yahweh for thousands of years because there was a promise that there would be a Messiah that would come. And so God's people in the Old Testament, their muscle, the thing that they were skilled at, was waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. Well, Jesus did come. The Messiah did come and was laid in a manger, lived a perfect life, life, died, rose again, and then ascended into heaven. But you know what Jesus says right before he ascends into heaven? He says, I will come back. And so now for 2,000 years, people who have followed Jesus have just waited and waited for the fulfillment of that promise. If you follow God, the muscle that you need to be strengthening is this idea that we are to wait and we are to wait well. And for most of us, we don't wait very well, do we? In fact, we're more impatient than we are waiting. And so this morning, of all things, we are trying to teach us or train us how we are to wait well. That's the title, that's the theme that you and I, as, a, as, as individuals, as family members, because there are things going on in your personal life and then also in your family life. There's also things happening here in your community of believers and in our nation and in the world that we are literally waiting on. We have to be proficient in this skill. We have to know how to do that and how to do it well. And so how are we going to do that? Well, we need some examples. We need some people to kind of be our forebearers and to kind of, kind of just do, do it for us and so that we can do it well. And so that's where Luke chapter 2 comes in. And so you've got it in your scriptures. And so we're going to read this out loud. Luke chapter uh, uh, 2, starting in verse 22. And so if Christmas is about waiting, and if the, like, not just Christmas season, but if you're going to follow Jesus, if it's about waiting, surely there's an example or two that will be inside, nestled inside the Christmas story that will teach us how to wait, right? Surely, surely, surely. There will be a few, a few characters that, that do that. Well, luckily for us, there's not one, but there are two of these guys, all right? One's a man, one's a female. Right? And so this is really, really, really good. The problem with these people is that you and I don't know them very well, right? And so this is a man named Simeon and a lady, a, a, a prophetess, or a lady who's spent her entire life, a widow inside the temple. 
And so we have a simple man and a simple woman, and they are just not known, right? There's ways that you and I get to know the people that are inside the Christmas story. They're called Christmas carols, right? And so if you don't have a Christmas carol sung about you, you probably don't know about them very well. So there's stories about mangers, and there's stories about stars in Bethlehem, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, you know, these types of things. But no songs about Simeon and Anna. And so it's our job this morning to bring them out of obscurity and into the notoriety that they so deserve because they are going to be the forebearers. They're going to be our examples on how you and I are to wait well. Okay? Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And when the time had come for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up, this is Jesus, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25, now, There was a man, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This is important. And he came into the spirit, into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up. This is Simeon taking up Jesus, taking him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation for the gen- to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising many in Israel and for the sign that has been opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also that your thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Verse 36, and there was a prophetess. Her name is Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband only seven years from when she she was a virgin. And then, as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart the temple, she worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day and coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to the Lord and to speak to him who all, who all speak to, sorry, to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so out of obscurity and into no here we have two people, a man named Simeon and a, a, a lady named Anna. And these are going to be our examples. And this is going to be our pathway. And this is going to be our encouragement. And these two people are going to help us understand how you and I and we are to wait well. Because that is a good muscle that we need to flex and to build on. This is a good skill that we need to have if we're going to follow God. So who is Anna and who is Simeon? Before we get into their story... 
I think it's important to kind of give you the, the answer key first. I think it's, sometimes it's better to give you the answer key at the end. Sometimes it's better in the middle. But today, I really think that you and I need to understand kind of the framework before we jump into the teaching of the scriptures. First and foremost, we will all be, if we're Christians, because we're waiting the, the moment the Messiah will come, we are all in a season of waiting. And so how are you and I going to wait well? Well, the first thing that we will see in this passage, in both Anna and Simeon, is that they were worshipers. And so your number one role, your number one thing that how to flex the muscle and how to be proficient in the skill of waiting is that you have to understand that while you wait, you must worship. And it comes down to the inner heart and your inner core is this is what I am built to do is to worship God in season and out of season, in waiting or in proficiency. This is what we do. But what do we see after worship? Because we see both Simeon and Anna, we worship. The second thing that we see is this, this idea that there is some kind of revelation. There's something that their eyes see that they haven't seen before. In all seasons of worship, whether things are revealed or not, you will be able to see God more clearly. And so out of worship, there actually is this revelation where you and I see God more clearly than ever. So out of waiting, you have to worship. And out of worship, you see you're being revealed. God will reveal himself in some way, you know, that you haven't seen. But out of this revelation, out of this idea of seeing God uniquely or personally, what happens is as your eyes are open and you see, so does your mouth. And out of Simeon and out of Anna's like eyeballs and being able to see their mouths open and they begin to proclaim. They begin to speak of the one that they have put their eyes on. And so out of worship comes revelation. And every time God speaks personally to us, we can't do anything but speak. We have to proclaim what we have seen. And out of our proclamation comes impact. Other people are impacted in a real and a powerful way. And so this is how we do it, all right? And so just to give you the answer key, you can pretty much pick up and leave if you want because you kind of have exactly what you have. You have Luke 2 and kind of the cycle of how you and I are to wait well. And so let's, let's jump in. His name is Simeon, right? And we know that he is in the temple and that the law of Moses has been given to him in some way. We know that he's some type of priest and he's some kind of, he's able to give some kind of ceremony, some kind of ritual, some kind, he's able to receive sacrifice. He's able to give blessing. He's a very, very important man. He's there in the temple mount and he's been doing it for a while, right? So this is what we know about Simeon. We know that there's two he's at least in the area of the temple in which you, you, you take up and you're a part of either the circumcision process, which is uh, earlier in verse 21, or this blessing or this ritual of cleansing. And so what Simeon's able to do is walk alongside Mary. And after 40 days of giving birth, he's able to purify her. Why, you know, this is a part of God's law, I'm not sure because it's so obscure in our world, but they walk, the mother walks into the temple for purification. And then they look to the baby, especially the firstborn. It says in the law, it tells us especially the firstborn son, the firstborn son is set apart. And so there's another blessing that the priest is able to do for Simeon. So this is who he is. He's blessings, he's receiving, he's giving. This is what he's able to do. So, here he is in verse 25. It says, 
And this is kind of the key verse. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. There in the middle of that verse, there's the kind of the key phrase that he was awaiting the consolation of Israel. So what does that phrase mean? Before we can understand the kind of the pressure of Simeon and Anna and the, just, the, uh, just be inspired by their waiting, we have to understand the culture that they lived in. And it's all enmeshed right there in that one little phrase that, they, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's a fancy four-syllable uh, word that simply means comfort, all right? So if you don't want to use consolation, even though we, we hung it in today's hymn, if you don't want to use consolation, you can just use comfort. And this is a specific kind of comfort. This is a comfort that comes after defeat or after loss. This is when someone is suffering so much after the defeat that someone is able to come alongside you to comfort you in your suffering or comfort you in your loss. So think about the burial of uh, George H.W. Bush. There's a lot of pictures. There are a lot of tributes and, you know, and, and those types of things. But there's one picture that really caught all of our attention. It's the fact where there was Sully, the dog, curled up at the base of George Bush's casket. So even in the dog world, there's something about this comfort, especially a comfort after loss. For Georgia fans, we all need comforted for the fact that Alabama has beat us two years in a row with a backup quarterback, right, in the last minute. And so these are the types of things that we need other people to come alongside us and to bring us comfort after a devastating loss. UT fans, it's every week for you guys, but, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just part of the culture. You knew it was coming. And so this is what it is, is that we, are, we need to be comforted. We need to be consoled, especially after a loss. So what exactly is going on inside of Israel? All right? What is happening here? Why do they need consoling so badly? So for a geek moment for just like three minutes, let me try to paint a picture of what the heaviness that is going on in Simeon and Anna's heart. This is called the intertestinal period. So if you look at Matthew 1 and you flip over just to, to Malachi, there's, there's just one page that separates the Old and the New Testament. But God has been silent for 400 years. There's been no new revelation from God to his people. First and second Chronicles, Ezra and Nehemiah, that's the, actually the oldest book of, of our Old Testament. And we know that in this moment that the temple has been restored, the walls of Jerusalem, the gates of, of Jerusalem have been restored, and now worship can happen in Jerusalem once again. That happened in the year 445. And from that day all the way when you flip on to these very pages, God has been silent. And so when you think about Simeon waiting the consolation of Israel, it's because they have not heard God's voice. They have literally, they have not heard a new revelation from God for 400 years. He has been silent, and they're wondering where he is. But for 400 years, something more is happening. It's not just God's voice that's been silent, but there's oppression and tyranny that have befallen the people of Israel. Take, for instance, in 331, 
In 331, Israel was a part of Persia, and Persia was kind of the, 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 the muscle flex at that point. And Persia, in the year 331, was conquered by Alexander the Great. And so, one, Israel was a part of Persia, so they didn't get what they wanted. But then the Greeks come into Persia and overtake Persia and therefore overtake Israel. And so when Alexander the Great comes, he walks in with strength and he walks in with a passion for unity. But it's not just the unity that you and I would talk about where everybody's singing Kumbaya. It's their unity. It's their oppression. It's their thoughts and their ideas. If you know about this time in in history, it's called the Hellenization or the Greekification of the Middle East. And so Alexander the Great, with this passion for unity, would say, you are all going to be like us. Alexander the Great ultimately dies. He then gives over um, power. And for about 150 years, it goes okay. But like all great ideals, especially, especially when they're not given by God or, or through the person of Jesus Christ, these ideals, no matter how good unity is, if it's not done in the name of Jesus, it'll get askew. And so this passion became oppression. And oppression became just domineering. And so as the Hellenization continued to grow, the Jews in Israel and Jerusalem got less and less and less of who they were. First, it was getting rid of circumcision, which was, had been a part of, of, of Jewish culture forever. Then they got rid of the Sabbath and all the Sabbath uh, uh, cultures. And then they got rid of God's word. And then in the year 191, 194, sorry, I'll give you the exact date, 198. In the year 198, a Greek walks into the Holy of Holies and he commits the abomination of desolation. He actually sacrifices a pig on the Holy of Holies. And so the people of Israel, one, they don't hear the Lord. They have no new revelation. But then the Persians, now the Greeks are being oppressive. It wasn't just the Greeks, right? Then about 150 years later, in the year 63, the Romans arrive, the Romans take over, and they continue to, to, to announce all that. And of course, Jesus Christ, when he came, he lived in this world that he lived under Roman rule. That's why he hung on a Roman cross. These are not nice people, and they don't like the people of God, and God is not talking to them. Now you understand why Simeon and Anna are eagerly waiting for comfort. Let this thing ease up. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of the pressure. I'm tired of the oppression. I'm tired, Lord. When is it going to end? I don't know what type of pressure you're under, but let me tell you, a first century Jew had more weight than you and I have felt in our lifetime. And yet we see Simeon and we see Anna do something remarkable. They worship. In their waiting, you see both Simeon and Anna worship the God, trust God, love God, stay in the temple, stay close to the precepts and the statues that have been given to him. So think about Simeon, just the, the, um, the words that are written about him, that Simeon was a righteous man and he was devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You flip over to Anna, and the same thing, that she did not depart the temple.
that she worshiped day in and day out, that she was filled with fasting and prayer. You and I, before we get a revelation, before we understand anything, we have to put all of our attention onto Jesus himself. While we wait, we must be worshipers. This is kind of the the IQ, the EQ, this is the standard of all Christianity that no matter what happens out there in our hearts, we must worship God. In this season, whatever season you're in, can you claim yourself as a worshiper of God first and foremost? That no matter what happens out there, in here, you are devoted to him that you find yourself night and day praying to the Lord because he is your sustenance. He is your promise. He is the one that will make a difference in your life. I've been praying that this week that we would be changed, not just because we waited well, but because we worship well, that you and I stand on promises that don't belong to us, that we have an authority that does not belong to us because King Jesus has given them to us. So before you follow Jesus in your actions and obedience and those types of things, first and foremost, find yourself as a worshiper of him, the creator of all things, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the one who will, that we will sing literally in all eternity. This is what we will do. We will lift up his name. If we lift up his name then, why aren't we lifting up his name now? What we find in Simeon and Anna's life is the fact that they are worshiping God no matter what. God's been silent for 400 years. Worship. The Romans, have you heard of the oppression of the Romans? Worship. But there's no buts. You see in these two people, one a man, another a woman, that they are walking in a relationship with God no matter what. They waited, and then they worshiped. But then what do we see? So then, uh, out of this idea that the name, his name was Simeon, and the man, was, he was righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel, but then the Holy Spirit was upon him, all right? Before we move forward, I want you to circle that word, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, meaning the silence has been broken. 400 years has come to a close. You just look at Luke and guess what you will find? You will find the Holy Spirit speaking to an angel of the Lord coming to Mary. An angel of the Lord coming to Elizabeth. The, uh, the Holy Spirit lighting on Zechariah. The Holy Spirit being a part of Simeon's life. The silence is over. John the Baptist is coming. The Messiah is coming. And so what we see is we hear God finally speaking and Simeon listening to him. And so the Holy Spirit was upon him. The 400 years has been silenced. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Out of worship comes this revelation. Out of worship comes this idea that you are going to see God more clearly and more personally. And this is why we worship, because the object of our affection, the object of our worship will actually start to have an impact on us, and he's going to reveal himself to us personally and, 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 and profoundly. But then let's keep going in verse 27. And so he came in the Holy Spirit, in the Spirit, into the temple. And when 
the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. He was able to see Jesus with his own eyes. God wants to reveal himself inside of our worship. And so how do we wait? We wait worshiping, but we wait worshiping, anticipating that God will reveal himself to us. Here's Simeon after 400 years of waiting, and he is the devout one. He is the righteous one. And what does he have the privilege of doing? He sees Jesus, but then he takes him up in his own arms. This is the, how, how Jesus Christ is meant to be delivered to the world, to come in close, to bring us joy, to have an impact on our lives so that we can lift him up and hold him close. This is the revelation that Jesus, the one that came as a babe, is really the one that's going to free us and deliver us from all sin. He will reveal himself to us over and over and over. It says that in Anna's story, that at the very hour that Anna walks into the, the temple, she just starts to burst forth. And so Anna was able to see with her very own eyes the effect of what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to change the world. And we're going to have to see him clearly. Inside of our waiting, we must be found worshiping. In our worshiping, we must be looking at the object of our faith with our eyeballs and holding close the person and work of Jesus himself. And so as Simeon holds up baby Jesus in his, own, in his arms and he stares down into eternity's eyes, he can't help but say something. And he says, he proclaims, this is the next stage of this cycle or this rhythm or this pattern of waiting. He says, now, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. When you worship and you see God with your eyeballs, your mouth opens up and you can't wait to proclaim who he is. And he's the salvation and for you have prepared in the presence of all people, even the people of East Tennessee, even the people, I mean, just like all people, and the light of the revelation to the Gentiles, you and I, we are going to be gifts of, uh, for the Messiah and for the glory of all of your people, Israel. And so out of his worship came his revelation, and out of revelation come this speaking part or this proclamation part where he could not stop saying these things. Flip over to Anna. Anna does the very similar things. And so at coming in that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. There is a natural progression from your eyeballs to your mouth that when you see and behold, you will speak and you will proclaim. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is good news meant to be heralded to all people everywhere, the light of the Gentiles, the salvation of all people. This is the news. This is what we get to proclaim to all people. So our example is Simeon and Anna, that as they saw, they then taught, they proclaimed, they spoke the good news of the gospel to those around them. May we speak. May we speak. The last part of the cycle is from worship to revelation, and revelation to proclamation. The last form, or the last step is that every time we proclaim, we will be salt and we will be light to the world. When we herald the good news, there will be impact 
on others. And so when she gave thanks to God, and then she spoke, and and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And there's that little word there. Speak to him to all. There will be an impact. If you go back to Simeon's, as he spoke, the father and the mother, Joseph and Mary, marveled as, as, at what was said of him. There will be a major impact on the people around us. So that day at, um, at Maple Street, Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your order is ready. And so as that proclamation went out and that kind of walked toward the front, began to see people stare, you know, and think, hmm, good answer. And then as I approached and, and grabbed my grits, I heard a conversation going on behind the counter. It was actually the girl who declared, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and with a coworker. And he was like, man, I thought you were cursing. I thought you were just going to stop at Jesus Christ or something like that, right? And he was like, I thought you were cursing. And she was like, no, I, that's what the guy said. And so I had to say it. And the guy said behind the counter without anybody hearing of me, you know, he's just kind of talking to the, He was like, that's a really good answer. And so as we proclaim, even in a funny way, to a restaurant here in Johnson City, there will be coworkers behind counters having a conversation about, that's a really good answer. As we wait, let's not waste it. Let's wait. As we wait, let's worship Jesus no matter what, anticipating that he will reveal himself personally, uniquely to us so that we will have something to say that we've seen with our own eyes in the scriptures that we read, knowing and anticipating, realizing that it will have an impact on our world. Can we do that? Let's wait well, people. Let's pray. So the prayer this morning is for those who are not finding themselves worshiping Jesus as they wait. Night in and night out, Lord, you gave Anna the strength to proclaim your name no matter what. So Jesus Christ, more than anything in this sermon, allow us to be worshipers of you. Yes, we want to have an impact on the world. But that will not happen unless we intentionally pause, knowing that we will intentionally be doing without and worshiping you in those seasons of waiting. To be devout, to be called righteous in the season of absence, not presence. Jesus, I pray now that as we call upon your name, that God, that we will call upon your name, that we will realize that it is your strength that we hold on to. You've given us life, Lord. You've given us a promise. Help us to stand on it firmly and completely.
God, I am an impatient person. And you know my impatience. You know that I do not wait well and either become pretty apathetic or pretty bitter at you in my impatience. And so I pray that you will bring conviction of on, our own, on all of our hearts this morning and how we don't wait well. And we don't find ourselves worshiping you inside long seasons of silence and even oppression and hurt and pain. This morning, I pray that you change our trajectory. You change our attention and you help us to look up, look up to you and what you have done for us. You are the fulfillment of all promises. You are life upon life. You are the alpha and omega. Let this be a turning point for us this morning. If you're struggling this morning, just know that um, we've got uh, Carly and Colin in the back and they're there as just uh, simple guides and a place of consolation, a place of comfort for you this morning. If you find yourself just having a hard time waiting or being impatient, um, just know that that prayer corner is, is, is open and ready. And while we're even praying now, if you want to just slip out and, and go back there and you want other people to come with a prayer of comfort for you in a specific season and time, just know that we got men and women back there that would love to walk alongside you. And so Lord, as we walk closer to this table and we look at the significance of you and what you meant for the world, Help us to realize that the comfort of all comfort came from your bloody and terrible and wicked death that you took for us so that we could be reconciled with you. We ask this in your good name, amen. And so what brings us comfort this morning? What brings us comfort is the fact that Jesus Christ gave of his life for us that he became miserable for us. What brings us comfort this morning, not the comfort of Israel, but the comfort of those who follow the great commission, who follow Jesus with their lives, the great comfort is that he has blazed the trail for us. And with his body and his blood, his body given and his blood shed for us, that we can find ourselves reconciled, brought together, comforted by King Jesus. We need a reminder. We think every seven days to come and be reminded that Jesus brings us the comfort. And so that's why we eat a meal together. And so if you're new to Redstone, just know that this is an old practice, a practice called communion. Communion is just the body and the blood of Christ Jesus given for us so that we will find a covering in Jesus. If you have yet to follow Jesus, if you've yet to realize that your identity is found in Jesus alone, again, we've got men and women back there that love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus unto death. So as a family of faith, rise and stand to your feet. Just know that these stations are open for us. This is a family meal, so go ahead and stand. Just know that these men are there to, to give uh, this meal away to you. Uh, find it uh, uh, if you want, find a place where you can uh, gather around a few people and, and offer a prayer thanking Jesus for bringing comfort to you this morning. All right, so the stations are open.